0: musty scent of parchment and undisturbed dust filled his nostrils. He could make out the vague shapes of scrolls filling the shelves around him. Small strips of leather with dark writing hung from each one, likely titles or descriptions, but he would need a light in order to read them. Maybe if he could get his hands on a small moonstone, he could hunt down the scroll he needed himself? As he stood peering into the darkness and pondering how to find a moonstone, his ears caught the soft click of a booted foot against the tile behind him before he could turn a hand clapped over his mouth at the same instant the sharp edge of a blade pressed into his neck all right when when that line, when that passage is read i feel as if i'm there how did you get the, how did you know how it would form in your mind how did how did that happen
1: well it's definitely a matter of experience um usually when i'm writing a scene like that it kind of unfolds like a movie in my head so i'm imagining the character you know in this library aisle in the dark walking along but i'm thinking of all five senses so ideally when you're writing a scene you want to draw on multiple senses so there's visual everybody's i mean you need the visual Um, but You know, what are they smelling? What are they hearing? Um, If you can draw on what are they feeling, like textures against the skin. Um, Those are all things that make it really immersive for the reader.
0: How did you know about drawing in the five senses? Where did you pick that up?
1: Um, that probably, I mean, I have been studying craft books, um, on writing. That's just one of the, uh, things that gets brought up when you're trying to really be immersive and make a scene come to life. And part of that too is, um, there is a very well-known adage in the writing community of show, don't tell. And, uh, new writers often want to tell events, you know, Sally went to the store, she bought, you know, some Cheerios, and she paid at the till, and the lady gave her a funny look, and so she didn't really like that lady, and she walked out of the store. That's, we just were told about the experience Sally had, but to show it would be to describe the store as she's walking into it. You describe what she's seeing in the store. You see, like, oh, okay, well, the, the sign was old and kind of marred or whatever over this, you know, she's looking at the sign where the, cereal aisle is or you know she smells like the detergents as she like wafting past like it just it sort of brings you there so you can visualize it in your own mind and kind of experience it um so that's you want to experience the story you don't want to be told the story
0: how do you choose what order of senses to go through when you're when you're going through this process
1: um it it definitely there's obviously visuals the most important to start with um and then it kind of depends on the scene um, I tend to describe visual and auditory the most frequently and then smell. If, okay. it, if there's a clear smell in the scene, because the setting is going to determine it too. I mean, if he's walking through a, a gross marshy place, like there's going to be really potent smells and things, right? It also depends on the mood you're trying to set in the scene. So the senses you decide to describe and the words you pick to describe them set the mood. Because I could describe this, you know, library that he's in and make it super-duper cozy. And, like, I just want to curl up with a cup of coffee, right? Depending on the words I describe with, or the words I use to describe. Um, But, like, if you want to make it creepy, you're going to dwell on the cobwebs in the corners and the you know, oh, it's a damp sort of musty smell or it's cold or, you know, there's like weird creaking noises around or things that make it creepy, right? As opposed to like, oh, you know, the sunbeams were coming in through the window and they're catching on the dust motes in the air and like, oh, there's like a nice sitting area and it's just sort of, you know, dry smell of books. And, you know, that makes you feel like, oh, I want to sit down and read there, right?
0: Okay. So you kind of focus on, when you focus on that mood, You decide how you're going to describe the certain aspect. So whether the cobwebs are whimsical or actually they just look kind of dirty, and I feel I'm going to get bit by a spider. Yes,
1: absolutely.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And with that that bootstep, so you say you you said you look at it as if you're seeing it. uh, You see it as a movie. Mm -hmm. So how do you see it in your when you see in your brain, and then you put it on paper? How many renditions does it take to actually get it right, or right that you? you'll be, okay, I'm okay with this. That
1: I'm happy with it. Um, usually, so the first time I write a scene, the first draft of the scene, um, if if it's a good writing session, (laughs) I'm actually happy with what I've written, (laughs) you know, I will go back and it will get tweaked. Like I'll go through and be like, you know what, the way I worded these sentences didn't work well or, or whatever. Or I'll be like, this isn't visual enough or I don't feel as present enough. Or, you know, usually it's not, it's not visual enough. Usually it's I just don't feel immersed in this scene, so what other details can I draw in? And I'll elaborate on it, but sometimes it's just there if I have a really good writing session. Like, this one kind of came together, this particular spot.
0: Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So then, since you wrote it yourself, how do you get away from the bias of, oh, man, this really sucks, or the bias of, oh, man, I'm... I'm crushing it. Well, how do you get away from that?
1: <laughs> uh, definitely, that's that's where beta readers come in. Um, that's where giving it to your your spouse or your mom. Uh, my mom is, there's, there's the cliche of give it to your mom and your mom's going to love everything you do. My mom is like very critical of my writing. <laughs> well, okay, well, she's, not, she's not terrible, but she's she's more likely to be like, I don't understand what's going on than, than to be like, this is amazing, I love it, you know? So I can kind of like give it to my mom to get like the like, okay input that may be more negative (laughs) yeah um but then no like more more realistically i have critique partners that are like fellow writers fellow authors that they've been doing this for a while um and just to like give it to them be like what parts do they like so this scene in particular when i wrote it um the actual context of the scene you know he's been searching this building to find the library and he steps into the library and there's this part where he like sees the whole like it it rises up through several stories and it's like open and you can like see like all the books going up and up and up and when I wrote it I was like well that's kind of cool but I didn't really think much about it but I had multiple people comment on that scene afterwards and be like that was really cool I like that scene like that that was a really neat scene and I hadn't thought that people would so it drew my attention to it because I just wrote it as part of like oh this would be neat and moved on
0: <laughs> it, it sounds like that you you didn't you didn't try hard on that.
1: Not, you know, I wasn't intending that moment to be like a, any kind of scene that stuck in people's minds per se. Um, you know, this part that we just read where he's like just gotten grabbed from behind. I thought that might stick in people's minds a little bit more. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just because it's it's a very visual scene. And, you know, we could have read it, but it would have been longer. Okay. Um, and yeah, that one is one that like people are like, oh, that's just so cool. And I think it's because they can visualize it. Yeah. And it's just a neat, a neat kind of look.
0: When you first started, looking back at your previous work compared to now, how, how does it compare in your mind when you see it?
1: Oh, okay. N- writers never <laughs> like reading their old stuff. Oh, <laughs> they really don't. <laughs> yeah, my early stuff is really rough. I mean, nobody starts amazing. Nobody starts even passable. Like, everybody starts off bad. I look at my early stuff and it's like, oh... This is, I I can't read this. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow. Okay. So, but at the time, how how good do you think it was at that present time? At the at that time, time
1: that I was writing it, you know, I mean, for the level I was at, which was like, you know, beginner, it was fine. It was beginner level, you yeah. know? Um, And usually, and this is where you run into like trying to coach people that are brand new writers it is a challenge in some ways because... A lot of times you'll get, like, if I look at my old writing and I go, how would I give somebody that had just written this advice? It's like, where do you even start? There are so many things wrong with it. <laughs> oh. But you can't tell that to the beginner writer or you'll crush their soul. <laughs> you want them to keep improving and trying, right? And if someone had come to me and been just like punch holes through every sentence of what I'd written, this is, this is why it's all wrong, well, that would be so discouraging, right? Oh. So it's like you get people that, okay, usually some people are good at picking up on certain things more than others. So I had for a number of years a critique partner who was really good at picking on my show, don't tell. Like, make sure you're showing this, not telling it. And also, um, don't write in passive voice, which is like, instead of saying the dog drank the water, you would say the water was drunk by the dog. The water was drunk by the dog is passive. So it's not an active thing. The dog drinking the water is active. So. It sounds like a small nitpicky thing, but over the course of a whole manuscript, it makes a huge difference. Oh, so So.
0: the dog drunk the water versus.
1: The water was drunk by the dog. So something that's being acted upon, usually was, is a key word to look for for passive voice. Oh, okay. Because there's okay to have some, you know, but you don't want to have like all over the place passive voice. Like it's easier to visualize active voice.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. So then you describing the show, Don't Tell, that wasn't a strong suit of yours.
1: Not initially, no. Um, it's I think it's just natural to start, start trying to write by telling because, you know, we talk about people telling stories. And even when you tell your are about, about how your day went you don't start by describing the scene as you walked into the grocery store you say i went to the grocery store and i <laughs> bought some food you know and that's normal we don't want to be you know shown everything all the time which is why there actually is a place for telling even in stories you know there's some stuff you just need to be shown skip that <laughs> it's boring. <laughs> so-
0: Okay. So you have to find that balance. Yes.
1: Then it, then it it becomes learning. You, You go too far. Usually it's like you start by doing too much of one. Usually it's telling and then you start correcting all your telling into showing. And then you go too far that way. And you've got all these pages and pages and pages of boring content. It's like, I don't need to know all this. And then it's like, okay, now find the balance. It's like only show the stuff that matters. And then if there is stuff that doesn't matter, Uh, or like it matters to the story, but you don't need to see it. That can be told in like a sentence or two, like several weeks spent by, you know, that can be just told if you don't need to know what's happening specifically in those weeks.
0: Okay. So in your story, then how do you, how do you choose what matters?
1: So stories are fundamentally driven by conflict. And usually, so your character needs to have a goal so that they're not just aimlessly drifting through life. There's something they want and there's something that's preventing them from getting what they want. And that's conflict. That's what creates the conflict, okay? And so you don't want to be showing anything that's not pertinent to that conflict
0: in some way. It, It has to add.
1: It has to add to the story as a whole. And it has to move the plot forward. So that doesn't mean you can't have beautiful descriptions. But those beautiful descriptions should be part of events that are moving the plot forward. Mm. It shouldn't just be, okay, well, my character's on this quest, but I would like him to explore this beautiful garden over here for a while, just because. This garden's pretty, and I want to describe it. If there's no reason at all for him to be there in that garden, um, probably shouldn't be there. Now, you can use that garden to elaborate on his character. If you're wanting to show a certain aspect of his character development, he's noticing things in the garden that he wouldn't have before because he's just had this incredible experience, and he's in a new headspace. Like, you're trying to... Get across character. That's you can make some exceptions with that rule of like because that getting across character is part of the story. Like, but that still carries it. Yes, yeah. Most of choosing what goes into a story and what doesn't, it's practice, but it's also editing. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, you go back through afterwards and you're like, this scene is not helping, or it's bloated, or it it's in the wrong place. I need to put it somewhere else. Oh. You know, and then you cut and chop and do all that lovely stuff
0: what questions do you ask yourself to know if that scene's gonna make that cut
1: oh usually it's you know you don't know at least for me i don't know until after i finished my first draft and gone through my initial round of wait hold on stop uh, sorry
0: to interrupt you yes so once you finish the complete manuscript
1: yes to a large degree because You can, until you have the whole story sitting there in a steaming mess in front of you, you don't know for sure where it's going. And it's really hard to make edits without having that whole. Now you can, you can write... Like, usually beginnings get rewritten, I don't know how many times, like, dozens and dozens of times. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> at least for me. Just start it. Yeah. Just start this thing. Because it, this, the beginning, it doesn't matter. You can go back and rewrite it. A lot of times, you don't know where the best place is to start till after you've written the rest of the story. And then you go, you know what? A different ending would, or a different beginning would work better for the overall whole, you know? And it can just be small. Like, I mean, Wingless, this, this novel, started very differently originally in my first draft totally different opening scene like a year earlier (laughs) like and and then later after I had finished it and then actually that got changed when I did the edits from being young adult to being middle grade because it was like okay I had a better idea of what I wanted the story to be and then suddenly this opening scene was not setting up readers for the story that actually came after it it was giving them expectations that were not fulfilled upon later on in the story so it was like, hey, this is the wrong place to start the this story. This is Now this is backstory. This happened in the past. It's no longer pertinent to this plot. So it comes up in the plot as a little piece of backstory, but it doesn't actually happen on screen.
0: Okay. So okay. then the beginning shows up in the middle somewhere, or your, or your previous big be- Farther ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you need to have the finished manuscript. For bef- me. For you, before yep. you start the edits because
1: you can fall into the trap and a lot of writers that have never actually finished a manuscript which is common like (laughs) a lot of writers it's it's like well I I get stuck and so I start something new (laughs) um now another trap you can fall into is the trap of perpetually editing as you write to the point where you never actually get to the end because you're too busy fixing the beginning and it doesn't matter how beautiful that beginning is if there's no ending the beginning doesn't matter Oh, you know,
0: (laughs) that's the it's that's so different in contrast to to some things in life. So you want to start off with a a level on level ground. But with the book, it seems you can change that level without destroying the the house or the foundation.
1: Yeah, I mean. You can definitely, there are certain changes you can make that could completely wreck your story. It depends on what the story is about and what the fundamental aspects that you're changing. But usually the opening scene can usually be changed without wrecking the rest of the plot. Because the purpose of the opening scene is to hook the reader into your story world, but the story itself hasn't kicked off yet. The plot events haven't kicked off yet. Because you kind of need to see your protagonist in their normal world, even just briefly, before you see how the events, of the story are rocking their world.
0: Oh, you need to show them as a relatable, or that person as a relatable person.
1: Yeah, you kind of need. Yeah, you kind of need a sense of who is this person that I'm going to be following around. You want to be able to grow with this character over the course of the story. So you need some idea of where is the starting point for this character. What's the norm? So that you can then see how the conflict and the disasters and the events he's going through are causing him to grow. If you just open on someone who's in the midst of crazy conflict, if that's not his norm, like the events have already started and we're kind of partway in, we're going to be a little lost as readers. But we're also, more importantly, not going to have that emotional connection to the character yet. If you see somebody, you know, you see this in action movies, they always open with these crazy sequences, right? Of like car chases (laughs) and whatever, explosions. We don't care that much about the people involved at that point. We're just kind of like, oh, this is interesting. But if that car chase is now happening halfway through the movie and we're now invested in these characters and they could die... It means so much more. Ah. Suddenly we're on the edge of our seats like, oh, no, what's going to happen? Instead of just sitting back and going, oh, flashes and booms and bangs and okay. Yeah. You know, that's
0: the reason most people don't care about the civilian casualties when they see a Marvel movie.
1: Yes, precisely.
0: So what have you found helps draw in that reader to kind of. Have, to have some skin in the game when that character is going through conflict or going to die. What, what have you found works?
1: So, it really depends on your character and the kind of character you're trying to write. Because um, there are characters that are just inherently likable characters. Some protagonists are like that. Some protagonists are inherently unlikable. <laughs> Very disagreeable people. But there needs to be something that you can sympathize with in this character to make you want to stick with them through the story. They don't have to be a nice person. They don't have to be a polite person. They can be rude and scruffy and whatever. But if there is something in the beginning where you can see, okay, there's a shred of sympathy here, whether it's, you know, you feel sorry for them or you respect them because of a choice they make. Those, those are big things like the, the pity factor, but also the respect factor and that, wow, this person's really an interesting human being. I want to, follow this person more you know all of those things are potential ways you can make a character be interesting and that doesn't mean you have to start with the character waking up in the morning and getting out of bed in (laughs) fact you probably shouldn't (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) (laughs) um there are agents there are agents and editors who will say that if if the story opens the character waking up in the morning they will immediately close the book and reject it because they've seen way too much of that and it's boring unless you're like doing something really interesting with your writing and you're an experienced writer, it's tough to pull that off. So you can open with like action and something happening, but it doesn't have to be earth shattering.
0: (laughs) So the moral that there was so much in that, but the moral of the story is don't start with your character waking up. If you want your manuscript published. (laughs)
1: Well, okay, because there's exceptions to every rule and just saying that people will be like, but this book does it and this book does it and this book. Yeah, yeah. Survivorship bias. Yes. But if you are like just starting the book, you should have a reason for why you start your story where you start it. Yeah. If you're just starting it because, well, my character woke up and is going about his morning routine. I don't care about your character's morning routine unless there's a reason that it's really pertinent to the plot. Yeah. So, yeah. like, I assume that he, you know, got up, put his clothes on, <laughs> had breakfast like normal people do. I don't need to know that.
0: Yeah. What
1: <laughs> I would like to see is when does the interesting stuff start? Yeah,
0: okay. Yeah. And he breathed his first breath. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. our brains are going to fill it in. So when... It, Wow, that's that's cool when you say it doesn't matter if they're nice or rude or disagreeable as long as you can sympathize with them.
1: Pretty much. There has to be something about them that draws you in and makes you go, I want to read more about this character. Wow. Right? And that, again, it can be that they're super-duper interesting. Maybe they got a super snarky voice that you think is hilarious, you know, like in terms of how they come across. Or maybe they're just like, they're like a conflicting bunch of like, why would a person that's like this do something like that? And yeah. you want to, you want, I don't get it. I want to know more. Like, want
0: to understand that. Person. Help me understand
1: this. Like, and you have to be careful with that. Cause it has to be believable. It can't be just ludicrous. Like nobody behaves that way. That doesn't make any sense because that's not going to make you connect and want to know more. You're just going to be like this, writer doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I gotcha. So, yeah. I gotcha. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So with the, with the sympathy, what did, what have you found works well? To, to make you sympathize with, let's, let's go with somebody who's just a, just somebody who I wouldn't, or you and I wouldn't want to hang out with, but what would make us sympathize with somebody?
1: Okay, actually, I can think of a, a character. One of my all-time favorite characters is Sidney Carton from Tale of Two Cities. He is a drunkard, Slovenly mess who has wasted his life, but he falls in love with the lead. This this you know, very wonderful young woman who ends up with this other guy. And I don't want to give away the ending of tale of two cities for those who haven't read it, (laughs) but Sidney Carton goes from this character where he's, you know, he's despicable. And yet the first thing he does in the story is he saves the life of this guy who's on trial and about to be falsely condemned to death by showing up and just blowing holes in the prosecutions, like all of this. And he, so he saves this guy and this guy is the man that the woman he loves is getting together with
0: damn and
1: you're like and, and what's funny is then he takes the guy Charles I think is the guy's name out to like for a couple drinks afterwards and he's basically telling Charles yeah no I hate you because you're you've got everything <laughs> I want and it's my own fault that I don't have these things essentially and he's just drinking himself to death wow. and you're like this is a really complex tragic character but you kind of respect him a little bit
0: he has a code. He has a he has moral a code. code. Yeah.
1: And that's interesting. Yeah. I would not want to hang out with him necessarily. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah, kind of miserable. I don't want
0: to get puked on. I won't do that. <laughs> but like he
1: is, you can instantly like respect him. And that just goes up to the nth degree by the end of the story. You're like, oh man, this guy's amazing.
0: That's big. Yeah. Okay. From that perspective where this guy has a moral code and, and he has rules he lives by. Yeah. Do you, what are your set of rules you have for some of your characters that, to make them them?
1: Hmm. Characters need to be a mix of both good and bad. If you've got a character that's entirely good, entirely special, entirely powerful, they've got no flaws, they've got no weaknesses, they're just wonderful all the time, nobody can sympathize with that. Nobody's like that.
0: <laughs> okay. you know,
1: Characters have to have relatable flaws yeah. and weaknesses and things they're maybe not good at. Or things that like just they've got maybe they've got some vices or maybe they've just got some maybe they're cowards, maybe Asher's scared of heights and he's wingless, so that's <laughs> understandable. He lives in a world where everyone else can fly you know um, the fear doesn't necessarily paralyze him, but it still definitely affects him, so that's a weakness, but I would say the bigger weakness is the fact that he's got that blinders on and just the prejudice he's got to work through. yeah, but he,
0: in the end he he admits he's wrong
1: yes yeah he realizes he's like, you know these people that I was judging i in in some ways I am no better than they are, because when it came, comes right down to it, you know, I am willing to do things that you know this I make mistakes, you know yeah. these other people can make mistakes too. I shouldn't write off the whole bunch of them because of that, so it's also like it's basically learning forgiveness, right? How do any of us learn to forgive people <laughs> oh, especially oh, when they've genuinely wronged us like that is It's easy to give lip service to, oh, forgiving people is good. Forgive your enemies, you know. It's easy to say that until someone actually wrongs you. There is an injustice done against you. And then it's like, okay, but this wasn't right. This wasn't fair. How do you let go of that? How do you move on? Because you can't say that it was okay because it wasn't, right? So it's that growth towards, okay, learning to forgive people. Well, I've messed up too. I'm not perfect. So maybe I should extend that forgiveness to them
0: Oh, because they, you
1: know, I'm imperfect. They're imperfect. If you're so caught up in that unforgiveness, it's just hurting you. You know, that bitterness and that dwelling, like you need to be able to let it go and move on. Ooh, I Eventually. got deep real quick. <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's a, that, that draws that point where, yeah, hatred for another person is drinking, po- drinking poison and hoping exactly. they die. And then they'll die, right? It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't do anything.
1: The other thing is, like, the desire for revenge, and, and this is something that comes up in this story because the antagonist of the story is trying to talk Asher into taking revenge, helping him take revenge, because the, an antagonist you know, the bad guy, if you will. He's a very shades of gray character himself. Um, He's had terrible things happen to him that are very similar to what Asher had happen. But his response is, I'm going to take vengeance on them. (laughs) You know, because in his words, you know, uh, vengeance is just justice meted out by victims upon perpetrators. That's how he views it. And... Uh. You know, you you sit there and you can go, I could kind of understand that, but it's not quite right.
0: Yeah, but I'm sure everybody's felt that feeling where you want revenge. uh, Yes. But you don't want to swing. This is funny because we just talked about, I I talked about this earlier. You don't want to swing Count of Monte Cristo. You don't want to be 25 years. Yes. Stewing and your only focus is revenge. Yeah,
1: no, exactly. Right. And the reality is the desire for justice is a good thing. Like it's, it's. In, we all want what is just and what is right. We desire that because we're very aware of it when it's not granted to us. You know, <laughs> anyone, from a toddler right up to, you know, an 80-year-old. Like it's just there. Yeah. But uh, the, the problem is when we're the wronged party, it's very easy to lose sight of what true justice actually is in that situation and take it too far.
0: So, so. You, you, since you created the book, Mm-hmm. How much did you learn in your personal life through through the characters?
1: Um you know what's funny is it's less what I've learned through the characters and more we usually we use the we use stories to help figure out things we're going through in our own lives. So a lot of times I will have my characters go through not the same things I've gone through but similar things. You know like Having to work through forgiving people that have hurt you. Well, that that actually I'd sort of was that's a common theme in books anyway, right? So it did, it did happen that I had to end up going through that as I was writing this. So it was like, oh, okay. You know, but um yeah, usually I don't necessarily learn. Sometimes I learn through my characters in the sense that I put them on a journey and then that, and then I go, what would it really mean to go through something like that? And it makes me really start to think more on topics that maybe I hadn't actually put that much thought into. Oh, so you know? something you
0: haven't experienced before, but mm-hmm. you're trying to exactly show, not tell to the readers.
1: Yeah, and be like, well, how do I portray this experience authentically? And it makes you realize that a lot of times, if it's something you haven't experienced yourself, you've got a very shallow idea of whatever the experience is. And when you really dig into it, it's like, oh, whoa, that's really intense. Like, that would be... That would be tough, you know.
0: How do you dig into it? How did you do it? What do you do?
1: Um, reading, reading other people's accounts of that, or just being like listening to other people that maybe have gone through it, or reading stories that have been written by people who have had things that they've gone through. It gets, it is personal experience. Then that gives. That's the closest I think you can come to, or even talking to somebody who maybe has had that experience, whatever it is.
0: So it sounds, there's actually a little bit of, I thought it was all artsy, but there's a little bit of formula to a story.
1: Yeah, I know. That's, that's huge. Um, That's where you're getting into story structure,
0: which... Well...
1: That then that's like, you know, you have like the three-act structure of a story, and you know, there's the you know, the standard beats. In fact, I'm an outliner. I've finally I've discovered through much trial and error. I am an outliner. I need to know the whole story before I start writing it, or else it doesn't get finished. <laughs> you know, some people they, they can't do that. If they outline the whole story, now it's boring and they don't want to write it. They have to discover it as they go. there's two generally two different types of people for writing, and, and I am very much an outliner. I need to know where I'm going. I need my map. Yeah. So, But the story structure, I know going into any story, there's going to be a certain pattern that it follows. Just even from, you know, you've got your inciting incident at the beginning where the story kicks off, and then you've got, you know, the first plot point, which is where you're entering Act 2 is the point of no return, and the hero now commits to whatever's happening. Okay, we're going forward with this. I'm not going to turn back. And then you have Act 2, which is the middle section of the story where lots of stuff's happening.
0: <laughs> yeah. But
1: you're, you know, and then in the middle of that, is the midpoint. And generally the midpoint is a revelation of some sort. It's a discovery or, um, a twist. Um, it doesn't have to be, but generally that happens in a lot of stories at that point. It keeps things kind of going. And then in every story you have the black moment and that comes roughly at the 75% mark. So three quarters of the way through the story, all hope is lost. The worst possible thing has happened. How are th- oh. how is the hero going to bounce back from this? And depending on your genre, depending on your story, this can range from just, I failed my test at school to I messed up and everyone died. <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> it can, it really, there's a range of black there's moments depending on the story. But like, it crushes your character and then they have to bounce back from that, assuming this is a positive, not a tragedy, right? And then they head towards the climax where they have the climactic moment and the thing they learned from the black moment helps them in, the, yeah, this character act. But, It sounds formulaic, but it's really not because you're describing, this is just what a story is. It's, it's not just a series of events strung together. It's a, an entire experience of someone going through something and it usually involves character change of some sort.
0: Yeah. That, well, that black moment, I mean, it's kind of funny, but same time, not, it's kind of, sometimes when you hit your thirties, you realize that's (laughs) a black moment. You're okay. Well, or, or maybe you hit your thirties and this is the point of no return.
1: Yeah see that
0: and then you hit another point and this is your black moment You okay where am I going to go from here I realize oh wow All yeah. my knowledge
1: and the thing is you get into well what is story why do humans tell stories why do we why do we write books why do we enjoy it and it's because we learn vicariously through stories we also enjoy it it's <laughs> fun we experience things vicariously the the joys the lows we want to have those emotions we want to go through it with the character We're having to go through it ourselves but we also learn lessons with characters And it doesn't have to be preachy. It shouldn't be preachy, or else that's actually probably bad storytelling. (laughs) But um, you know, that's how we learn. We learn through story. That's why when somebody shares an experience and they tell it as a story, it's more likely to stick in our minds than just saying, you know, forgiveness is good. It's healthy for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, stories can be ridiculously powerful.
1: Yes. And like, I know, cause for me, like growing up, stories have changed me and shaped me as a person in such a profound way. Like so many different things that I've learned through stories that have stuck with me and I'll go back and reread the same ones over and over again because I keep getting more out of them. And because I also keep like being fed by that. Like this is, you know, it's giving me fuel to get through my life, you know? Okay. okay, (laughs)
0: okay. So then you told about the tale of two cities with that, that drunkard, what, what other stories have given you fuel when the hard times come?
1: Hmm. Um. I would Always. say, really, I can give you one story that I will go back to again and again is actually, it's, it's Innocence by Dean Koontz. And it's funny because I don't read, it's a thriller. I don't read thrillers. <laughs> but, just don't do it. <laughs> but this book is just so profound in the, in the things that the characters deal with. Like, there is some seriously dark evil in that book, but there's some seriously incredible good main characters that you just go, how do these coexist? And... This is they, innocence. D- yeah, it's called innocence by Dean Koontz. It's beautifully written. Like <laughs> Damn. He's, he's got away with words. It's very gorgeous, but um, <laughs> it's dark. It's not for the faint of heart. Uh, there's some content in there that will make people squeamish because the villains are very, very bad people. <laughs> Ooh.
0: And they're they're they sound real though.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thankfully, I've never met anybody quite that bad myself. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> oh. Dean Koontz does have a tendency to have very, very black villains and very, very good uh, protagonists to the point where it's like, you don't usually meet people this extreme, but he pulls it off.
0: Yeah, they, they could exist.
1: And he, he shows like the shades of gray in between, yeah. you know, the stories that matter, like there has to be a cost, there has to be genuine evil, there has to be things that are wrong and things going wrong. And it's funny, the more I get older, the more tolerance I have for stories that have a lot of tragedy to them because as a kid, I was very much like, I want happy stories like bad things can happen, but it has to be a really good happy ending. I didn't even like bittersweet endings. but now that I've gotten older and I've encountered more personal tragedy and seen my friends go through personal tragedy, now I want stories where bad things happen, but people get through them
0: oh. and they come out the
1: other side and they can keep going and they get stronger or they get they come to cope with it in some way. I don't like stories that are hopeless. I don't like ones that kind of end on a, well, you know, everything's kind of grim and that's And he of that. gave
0: up and cursed everybody as yeah. he died.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I want there to be that spark of hope that pulls me through.
0: You're, so then you, the world that you write in your books is a little
1: There's definitely, a little bleak. There's darkness there. Yeah. there. Really, There has to be for it to really resonate to me. But it can't be so dark that it's just overwhelming. And, like, there are still really well-written stories that are super-duper grim and can still be, like, good stories. They're just, if they're super-duper grim constantly and there's no thread of hope or, like, happiness or even, like, a little bit of humor to lighten it, it's not for me. Like, I yeah. I need something. Well, <laughs> Throw you me could, a lifeline, yeah. you know?
0: <laughs> so you kind of get accustomed to gruesome. You want a little, hey, let's see that flower grow in the corner.
1: I, I think it's less both that and more, like, I, I don't read a book to get depressed. <laughs> I don't oh, read a book okay. you, because you, I want to wallow in negative feelings. You read a
0: book to uh, to lift you up.
1: Kind of, yeah. And that doesn't mean that like bad things can't happen. And they're in fact, they probably there needs to be this low point where like yeah, this is tough. But then seeing the characters build back from that gives that high way more meaning when they when they do come up from it.
0: Okay, okay. So, so it has to be surmountable. Uh, it has to be surmountable. What is it? Resistance mm-hmm. or obstacles?
1: Well, and like. Yeah.
0: Well, that tale of two cities you talk about.
1: Mm, That's a good example.
0: That stuck with me.
1: That whole book is a very good example of what I'm talking about. It is a very dark book. I mean, it's covering the French Revolution.
0: Okay. A lot
1: of people died. It was horrible. (laughs) And it does not shy away from that. It literally describes rivers of blood running in the streets. Yeah. And like, but there's also the, the, The hope, you know, (laughs) there's the good people still pushing on through in spite of that. Um, And it gives you that sense of, yeah, good is worth fighting for. I I just think of Sam Gamgee's little speech in Lord of the Rings where he's like, you know, the, the stories that really meant something, you know, they were dark and dangerous. And there were times when you weren't sure you wanted to go on because like, how could the world ever go back to being good again after so much bad had happened? But it's like. They kept on going. They had lots of opportunities to turn back, but they didn't because they knew there was good in the world and it was worth fighting for. Yeah, you know
0: that sums it up, though. Yeah, yeah. That that again shows that a little story that uh, that he did. Yeah, that actually changed Frodo's trajectory. It did. Yeah, because that was the, that was his low point. Yeah, and he got brought up by that story.
1: But you know, it's in, and you can get into the thing about like Gollum heard it too. But Gollum wasn't brought up by that. Now, why is that? That and that, oh. that that brings a whole interesting like. Yeah. But Gollum had wasn't fighting for anything good. Whoa, he so, was. He just trying to feed his own addiction. That's all he was focused on. Yeah, that so ring. He, you know. So, so
0: you think Gollum had he been fighting for a something bigger?
1: Yeah. Because he all he wanted was the
0: ring for himself. He didn't care. Yeah. He just wa- he just wanted that extra donut.
1: Exactly. Whereas it's like Frodo was that person where like he'd forgotten why they were doing this, but then Sam reminded them like, no, there is good and it's worth fighting for. You know, even if we die doing this, it's worth it. You know, yeah.
0: so, that's pretty sweet. Very
1: heroic and deep and inspiring. It <laughs> is. It, it, it is. It yeah. is. Frodo didn't particularly want to go on an adventure, but he had a choice. It was sit back and do nothing. And my everything I love is gone or give up everything I love to save it. Essentially, the choice he was given, you know? Yeah. And he made that choice. It's like, I'm not going to get to enjoy what I'm saving, but it's worth saving. And so I'm going to do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. This is upsetting because we've been talking about books when we should have been talking about freaking movies. But
1: but that's the thing is that these are books. Lord yeah. of the Rings—they're books. The movies are based off of books, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. T- <laughs> 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 funny, so, so funny story.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they, they are. So we are talking about but whether no, it's no, film. We're
0: talking about stories that. Ah. But
1: whether it's film or whether it's books, it's story. It's still story, right?
0: Once again, the lens. My yeah. lens is movies. Your lens is books and stories.
1: Yeah. Well, and to me, movies are just stories being acted out instead of with the written word. <laughs> They're both stories. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> at the end of the day, they are. Yeah. That, that, so that structure is common among all stories then. So that, that first incident, and then we have that point of no return. Then we have the black point at 75% mm-hmm. or what the black moment. And yeah, then it's,
1: it's usually, it's, I, I call it the black moment. Yeah. Um, there's all, different all names for it. Some, but all hope
0: is lost. And then they, they come exactly.
1: back. Yeah. That's, I can pretty safely say you're going to find that in almost any story. Now, the difference is if you're like, there's tragedies where you hit the black moment and they don't bounce back.
0: Yeah. Some, uh, <laughs> or was... the
1: black moment can be in a tragedy where you see this character. Like, so a great example of a tragedy is, um, the star Wars movies following Anakin.
0: Never seen, only seen three, four, 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 five, six, four, five, six.
1: Okay, the I, first in a, oh, the... Oh, the first three. The very first three. First three. They're, They're the, the best four. three. But the the ones that followed follow Darth Vader when he was a kid and then his, his progression to becoming Darth Vader.
0: Okay. Right?
1: And so that whole time, we know he's going to become Vader. This isn't going to be a happy story, you know? <laughs> but we go into it anyway because like... I guess, catharsis or something or pathos or like the drama, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, A lot of people have quibbles too with how that was handled. But setting aside whether they were good movies or not, because I'm not going to say one way or the other. um, But like that's an example of negative change arc. He could have risen above, but he chose to go the wrong way.
0: Oh, yeah, okay.
1: the results of that are tragic for him and everyone else.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah. He did get... The, what is it? He did get to be more powerful, but then yeah. he got taken down later on.
1: Well, he got to be more powerful, but what did he lose? At what cost?
0: Yeah, yeah. You, he lost everything
1: gonna... that matters in life, really. If you Yeah. And he also like horrible things
0: yeah yeah <laughs> i i don't know all the horrible things i only watched four five and six this is this is, this is from you yeah. i'm glad i didn't watch that it's bad
1: <laughs> i yeah. mean it's not bad but like it's off screen but like the stuff he does you're like oh this is horrible this is bad this is Ooh. no don't do that
0: no thanks
1: so wow yeah
0: okay well Catherine. hey this is great <laughs> yeah should, should we call it sure uh, let's call it
1: all right